Welcome to episode 68 of the Search with Canada podcast, recorded on Friday, the 3rd of July, 2020. My name is Mark Williams-Cook, and today I'm going to be joined by Patrick Hathaway, director of Sightbulb, and we're going to be talking about SEO audits and Sightbulb. Patrick, welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us. I always like to start uh, these podcasts where we have different guests on with the assumption that nobody has a clue who you are or what Sightbulb is. So do you want to give us like a 30 second or so uh, just background of yourself and uh, uh, one line about what Sightbulb is? Sure thing. Yeah, so I'm uh, Patrick Hathaway, um, co-founder of Sightbulb. Uh, which is a product created by Gareth Brown and myself. Um, and before Sightbulb, we co-created a product called URL Profiler, uh, which we actually sold last year. Uh, and before that, I worked both agency side and in-house. Um, and in terms of the like elevator pitch sort of thing of Sightbulb, uh, we, we had a new member join our team early this year called Jeff, uh, Jeff Kennedy. And almost the first thing he did, he pointed out, even in our interview, his interview, in fact, was that our positioning was all over the place. Uh, and he was right about it. So uh, me and him carried out a positioning <laughs> exercise. Uh, like the first thing he did, pretty much, we, we spent a few weeks doing that. Um, and we needed to write out all sorts of different lengths of elevator pitch. Uh, so I'll read one out to you now. Uh, so Sitebulb is a website auditing tool that provides comprehensive call analysis and presents recommendations that guide your audit workflow with intuitive next steps from investigation to reporting. In-depth explanations of every issue help you fully understand the results and have confidence in your recommendations, which makes Sitebulb a great fit for SEOs who regularly need to do website audits. And by the way, just so that's our that's our elevator pitch right there. And uh, the positioning process we did was actually super helpful. Um, both from a messaging and product perspective. Uh, so I think we'll talk later on about some of the new features we've got coming soon. Uh, but we've also overhauled like various areas of the website to make our positioning clearer and in general easier to find answers to your questions, which I think is now ready and should be ready to launch uh, next week. So um, there'll be some of that stuff will actually be coming live soon. Wow, I like that was really well prepared. I was expecting, you know, sort of some <laughs> off the cuff thing, but you have a prepared positioning statement. So that's perfect. Well, yeah, um, I, I figured I figured I needed to actually use it because I've literally <laughs> we'd made it and I've literally never used it. I was like, right, this is my opportunity. <laughs> this is your time to shine. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you know, I'm you know I use Sitebulb. I'm a I'm a fan. Um I use, you know, lots of different SEO tools. And I guess I'm interested for your thoughts on how did Sitebulb come to be? Because obviously we've had many tools over the years ranging from, you know, very old stuff like, you know, Xenu's Link Sleuth through to, you know, Screaming Frog, which is obviously very popular. What what made you go, ah, there's a gap there. There's something that's not being done. Well, it actually starts as a feature for our first product URL profiler, um, which if anybody doesn't know, that product is like a list-based sort of data grabber. So in that tool, you'd load a list of URLs in and then you'd say, right, I want to collect this bit of data, that bit of data, that bit of data about the URLs. And then it would go off and get it. 
and that kind of dump it into a spreadsheet. And essentially this meant we had to constantly say to our users, go and grab a list of links from Ahrefs or Majestic, or, or go and grab some crawl data from Screaming Frog. So it meant that our tool there was always ever like a supplementary and you had to have something else in order to use it properly. So we, we figured, right, well, we can't exactly create our own link index, you know, little two-man self-funded team. We're not, we're not going to go and do that. So we're not going to build Ahrefs, but we could theoretically build a crawler. So we started off on that route. Essentially, it began just, we'll just go and like get the URL data, essentially the URL discovery. We'll just go and get that, you know, some of the basic data. Um, then as we were developing it, we kept sort of adding in things that we thought the other crawlers kind of should be doing anyway. So like all the stuff which we wanted other crawler tools to do, we just added to our tool. And the more we did this, it kind of dawned on us that to, to do this thing justice, it really needed to be its own product. So that's like how Sitebob was born. Was that a challenge then actually building uh, building a crawler? Because I mean, I've, you know, dabbled with various tools, you know, building tools I've needed. And um I've always found these things sound simple, but actually when you start getting to the nuts and bolts of it, there's all kinds of edge cases and, and stuff that basically breaks it. Was it was it a fairly simple process to get the basic kind of crawler stuff up and running? Or I mean, was that yeah, more challenging? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's essentially, as you say, like the, to get the, the sort of core, will it crawl a website part is not super difficult. I mean, Gareth's the one that had to do all of this, so I'm just sort of saying it. But to, to actually get to do the sort of basics you know, it's not that difficult, but to get it to do the um, the edge cases is really where you need to do a lot of work. And that's where um, we we needed a lot of help from beta testers, to, you know, finding these sites which it just wouldn't crawl. And so we, I mean, if you, if you had asked Gareth, particularly back in the day, like not so much anymore, but his motto when we were building it was, the internet is broken and like this you have to do so much work fixing html like understanding what things are supposed to mean because the html on most websites is just awful um and it, it a lot of the work to to make it sort of robust and reliable is allowing it to uh, figure out these things that people are, are typically doing wrong or CMSs are doing wrong and fixing the things you need to fix so that you can still like pass the HTML or grab the elements that you want to grab. And and that's, that's, that, that's like the kind of the traditional crawling method, which is the sort of, you know, grab the HTML and, and pass that. The, the, the other side of things was the, uh, the JavaScript rendering. So as we were building um, Sitebulb, uh, initially we used, um, a headless browser called Phantom JS, and right towards the end of our development process, um, this was—I can't remember exactly the date, but it must have been a couple of months before we were sort of planning to launch, which was September 2017. Google actually released um, the headless Chrome, and we were Gareth in particular was really, really keen to put that in, and so I kind of had to put the brakes on and say we've had months and months of beta testing with this phantom js let's not just rip that out and replace it with something which hasn't been tested so we had we had to sort of pull that back and that was version two basically was when we brought headless chrome in uh, and that that was massive because um it meant essentially that any website we any website you have sitebulb control and, and that was a really big thing and a lot of the work was uh making the, the tool work with with the headless Chrome and work for all these different websites and all these different configurations and um, you know various different frameworks. I could see 
Gareth listening to this fuming as you've just said, oh yeah, it was fairly simple to get yeah, the basic. Dead easy. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that interests me that I like uh, about Sightbulb is actually um, that you do give these kind of explanations of, so you found an issue um, and you'll actually explain why that's an issue and attempt to prioritize, prioritize that. And obviously, you know, when it comes to actually doing audits and I think my views are quite well known on this you know I'm not a fan of you know just the automated SEO audit tools because they've got you know huge limitations and you know even if you're prioritizing stuff from a technical point of view you need to know um, kind of the internal capability and things before you can prioritize stuff but I'm interested in you've you've got all of these really detailed notes explaining kind of this is an issue this is why it's an issue why why did you feel that was something you wanted to add because a lot of these other tools obviously just give you the data they're just like right that's that that's broken this canonicals like this but you've gone that extra step and said okay you know this this is why this is a problem and this is why it's a big problem or a not such a big problem i mean it it kind of starts from 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 where we began where when we when we launched, I mean, as you mentioned it earlier, when we when we launched Sitebulb, we you know we hadn't initially planned to be building a crawler. Um, it's sort of we kind of pivoted in that direction. And when we were looking at, well, okay, we're essentially we're now going to be a competitor to, to Screaming Frog, Deep Crawl, you know, Encore, Botify, all of those guys. Hmm. How, what, why are we going to make ourselves any different to any of those? And you know, the the at, around that time there'd been probably in the few years previous to that, there'd been numerous copycat tools, which to all intensive purposes were Screaming Frog again, you know, with like the, the same look, basic Screaming Frog functionality, not with all the bells and whistles, but the basic functionality and the same sort of UI. And we literally had a philosophy was we are not building another fucking crawler because nobody wants that. <laughs> we don't We don't want to make just something which does exactly the same as everything else. And, you know, we had this assumption that basically everybody's got Screaming Frog. So, and, you know, I don't know if that's a literal situation, but it was sort of a, 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 a an assumption we made. It feels and, like that sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, you know, at, at least at least it's not far off. And um, we needed, we felt we needed to create a product that offered something fundamentally different to that. So we, we doubled down on the reporting elements, the data visualization and things like the hints, which... Um, allowed us to kind of take our sort of SEO knowledge and and build that as a layer into the product. So even though like a lot of the explanations for the hints live on the website, we feel that that's kind of part of the product and it hooks into the product and it all fits together. So we really were trying to build a website auditing tool and not a crawler. So like the with with all the sort of tools uh, that the, the sort of the crawler market the the core product is we're going to crawl the website and spit out data and we thought well we're going to crawl out we're, we're going to crawl the website grab the data do a whole analysis on the data and then spit that out instead and so we still have an assumption there's still a inbuilt assumption in the product that there's an seo at the other end using it and that's still a really important factor. Like, like you say, you, a, a tool can't do all the work for you. It still needs an SEO to interpret it, to understand what's important, and understand what's important in the context of the specific website they're working on. And so, what we've built is something that tries to give the SEO as many of, of the the tools to help make those decisions as possible. You mentioned there about 
kind of building in your SEO knowledge uh, into Sitebob and like you'd rightly say, having an SEO at the other end, um, kind of looking at what the tool's spitting out. And <clears throat> my question, I guess, is how much have you learnt on top of what you already know about SEO while you're building this tool? And I ask this because there was a question uh, posted yesterday on Twitter from uh, Gary from Google asking what would happen in this situation when he, he posted a, a robots.txt rule. And by the time I checked it, it had a few hundred replies and it was a it's a kind of binary yes or no type answer. It was an allow, disallow. And we had fallen about 50-50 on each side of the fence as to what Googlebot would do given these rule sets. And to me, that's, um, it, I guess it's kind of understandable in a way because, um, you know, it's a really specific question. But on the other hand, you know, that documentation is out there and it's just there for you to read. And if you're, if you're putting in this advice, and I know I've spoken to your team before about um, when we've hit edge cases with robots.txt, like how much have you kind of been like, oh my, like that's a new thing when, you, when, you've, when you've had beta testers and just, you know, Google drops an announcement on you? I mean, it, ha it happens, I wouldn't say regularly, but it, de it definitely happens where we've built something uh, with our understanding of the guidelines. So for instance, with robots.txt in particular, we've essentially gone through all the guidelines and built our robots parser to sort of essentially validate against those guidelines. And then every so often, a customer will come to you and say, look, this, this URL isn't crawling and it should be crawling based on this rule. And then you'll look at it and go, well, okay, it shouldn't really be so you, like Google shouldn't really be crawling that and like they've at some point made the decision well actually in this case we'll, we will allow that and so what actually happens in real life seems to not necessarily always match the um, the guidelines and if you see um, I think Will Critchlow I think it was his search love talk last last uh, whenever it would have been October um, did, did, a, did a whole load of work um, and analysis on the differences between like what happens in real life, what the guidelines say, and what the the sort of open source robots.txt parser they they put out there, yeah. and the, again, there's all sorts of just it, um, what's the phrase inconsistencies between the tools, and so there is no at the moment. I don't think I don't I don't believe there's an ultimate source of truth on this sort of stuff, and so. I think it's an interesting, like the, the the question posed by by Gary is an interesting one because to most people, essentially, you only need to know what you need to know for every specific website you come across. And if you come across something where there's a rule that you don't understand, you know, the idea is you go off and learn it. And and like I think so much of SEO is learning on the job, and we've mm -hmm. absolutely had to do that. And like what what we get the benefit of as a crawling tool is that we get our users coming to us with all these weird edge cases, you know, some of the sites that you've, you've shown me. And we're just like, okay, that doesn't do what we thought it should do. Or, or like, it's not doing what, um, what we expect it to do. Or, um, or you, think, you think it's not doing what it should be doing. And then we have to go and look at it. And sometimes it's a case that we've slightly put a rule in slightly wrong. Or sometimes it's a case of, well, we have to just go, all right, well, actually, let's just make a decision then that, if these things, if these URLs are being allowed by Google, then we'll also allow them. And it's 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 not hard and fast. There's lots of grey areas in it. And um, 
and I think that's kind of uh, kind of reflected in the um, the responses by uh, by the community to Gary's question. Do you know if that talk from Will Critchlow from Search Love is is online at all? The presentation definitely is. Um, that like the so he did a I did a write up blog post. Um, so on the distilled site sometime last year. Um, okay. Uh, you'll definitely be able to find that link it up. I'll, I'll, I can send you the link afterwards. Um, definitely so, wrote up and, and like there's possibly the slide share link in there as well. I think I think most of the time their search of videos go behind a paywall. Um, so uh, the video probably isn't, but the talk I'm sure is. The, the presentation. Okay, cool. So we'll get the link up on the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk if anyone wants to check out those slides. Uh, you mentioned um, some actually some of the crowd uh, cloud crawlers there, like deep crawl. How, how do you see kind of the market going in terms of, because we've got um, various desktop, you know, desktop based tools. Um, and, you know, I've seen a complaint of some of these tools is, you know, they, they don't work on very large websites because they're using up memory and storage. Um, and then you've got, um, obviously, the, the cloud-based ones. Where do you see kind of this going in, in, in the future? Do you think there's always going to be space for desktop tools? Do they do something fundamentally different in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm naturally biased um, producing a desktop tool. So, uh, <laughs> right. I, I mean, you, uh, I, I personally think that, that most SEOs for most of the work that they they need to do will be totally fine with the desktop with the desktop product. I mean, most most people most of the time aren't crawling websites bigger than ten thousand pages, and when you've not got a site that's bigger than ten thousand pages, you don't necessarily need a cloud product. And where the cloud products come into their own is when you have millions and millions of pages, and you don't necessarily want um, that you know your, your your crawler running on your local machine um so that is sort of the the big and obvious use case for um for the SaaS product the cloud product you know that that can run in the background um and is not taking up your machine resources at the time i mean we uh have built recently built some sort of solutions to those problems uh, within the software itself so now we, you can do scheduled or recurring audits on sitebulb and so we have some of our like higher end more enterprisey type customers who've got pages uh, we've got websites with say a million pages what they're doing is they're creating their own server in their own um, in their own office so like a dedicated computer which they'll you know spend a few grand on and that has uh, essentially just sits there and runs all of their crawls so they they load their projects on there they set recurring ones so if they've got a client that they need to call every week or every month or every day they just set them on set them recurring and it just sits and it just and it just bashes through them when it needs to uh, and then when they want to go and get the data for it they just grab it from there and then they do the analysis and so that sort of solution handles a lot of the problems that the cloud products are are solving um and so like when we built sitebulb we were we were really aiming for offering something which was a bit more than what the likes of screaming frog can give you and at a cheaper price than what the on crawls and deep crawls and all those guys will give you so mm. we were trying to aim for that kind of middle ground in between where we we felt that um at the time, at least, there wasn't a scalable solution uh, in that middle ground. And um, we, 
in, in particular, were keen to keep the price point essentially available to everybody. So we always wanted our software to be accessible to anybody on the market. And in terms of where we've priced it, we, we believe that we, we managed to do that. Uh, and, and that was, again, was a little bit of uh, back and forth with the industry trying to understand where that price point should be, um, because we are more expensive than Screaming Frog, but we're way, way, way cheaper than most of the um, the, cl- the cloud products. Mm. And like the, the big advantage of desktop tool over a cloud tool is that there are no limits whatsoever. So you don't need to have, you know, a five project limit or a, or a three domain limit or anything like that. There's no like, you know, you can... You can use uh, one of those cl- cloud tools and get a hundred thousand pound credit. Sorry, hundred thousand URL set amount of credits, and you can set a, a, a site crawling. Have no idea how big it is. Uh, it explodes out of nowhere because of pagination or something. You can burn through all of your month's credits in one go and have nothing usable for your client. And and that's the that's where the desktop tool is just far and away better because all of that exploratory exploratory stuff you 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 can do that you're not getting penalized for that you can crawl it and go a hundred thousand pages you look at it the next day and go oh shit okay i'm going to put some exclusions in i'm not going to crawl the query parameters all that sort of stuff and then suddenly you've crawled it again you know maybe it's ten thousand pages this time and you've actually got data you can use and you can do your audit with so um i can't see uh, a world in which the desktop um doesn't fit um, in the market at all particularly now we're able to do things like um, implement you know the headless chrome and actually the in terms of the the features that you can offer you, we can we can now offer in the desktop software it's parity if not better than all of the crowd cloud uh, crowd mm-hmm. cloud sorry products anyway I mean, I think I'm biased anyway, probably because I'm a bit old. So I I like desktop software. <laughs> but um, I mean, I I I use both again, and actually um, have had some of the problems you've said. So I mean, on maybe some of the larger sites, what I'll do is I'll apportion out um, only a cross section of that site to various cloud providers. Yeah. So I'm looking for kind of platform wide issues. Um, so I'm just taking a slice of different pages and they can say, oh, okay, I've potentially got an issue here. And then that's what alerts me um, to maybe use a tool like Sitebulb to actually then go and crawl the whole site and see what the depth of that issue is. And again, like it's, you know, just do it instantly on demand and I've, I've got the data there. So yeah, completely understand that. And like you say as well, with lots of smaller sites, the the, the cost doesn't always work in terms of the, the bigger platform. Yeah. I mean, the big, the um, bigger guys you, you see a lot of the time, they end up aiming for enterprise because they mm-hmm. can get the big contracts. They can get, you know, give account management and priority support and all that sort of stuff. And um, that's the sort of thing that we can't offer. We don't want to offer, you know, we want to offer a self-service product that's accessible to everybody. So all the, the real enterprise stuff we leave to one side and go, you know, you guys, you guys, we're not, we're not interested in that. Um, and yeah, that that's an area where the desktop product doesn't fit at all. So one of my favorite features in Sitebulb, I think you added it fairly recently, is this internal link equity flow. Um, I'm pleased you didn't call it internal link juice flow. I don't think <laughs> that would help anyone. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that feature and why you think it's important and, and added that in? Yeah, so so we, we kind of, uh, I think it was just just before lockdown, actually, we um, we released two 
two changes to the way we're doing like the link analysis stuff. Um, one was was bringing in this metric to kind of measure um, the the value of each page in terms of um, internal links. And the second thing we introduced was the link explorer. And um, the, like the, the reason these things are important is because internal link optimization is a really powerful technique. And it's also one that you completely control. So the website owner is in complete control of internal links. Because you can't decide which external sites link to you unless you're doing sort of PBNs and that sort of stuff. But in general, you can't decide where these external links come from. You can't you can't uh, decide which pages they link to, which anchor text they use. But you can control all of this stuff with internal links. So internal links themselves provide an opportunity to boost certain pages up or to consolidate link signals or even try to affect how search engines like understand what a particular page is about. And the, the problem with it, so even though it's a, it's a really good opportunity, the problem with it is that it's not straightforward to do. Um, and it's not always that easy to see, for instance, if you've got, uh, say, like five pages that are all linked to using similar anchor text. And so when we built the Link Explorer uh, earlier this year, um, we were trying to kind of make this process easier. So it allows you to explore and filter the link relationships on a site. So you can like dig into anchor text and investigate how well the site is optimized from an internal linking perspective. And like theoretically, you could do all this sort of stuff in Excel, um, like with just sort of a dump of all the, you know, in link relationships. But it doesn't scale very well. And like doing the actual exploration is a real pain in the ass. And so that was the problem we tried to solve with all of the internal link stuff we added. Does that answer your so question? I don't know if it, it does. It does, yeah, it does. Uh, I just had my mic muted because uh, my dog was barking at me. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, yeah, I really like, I mean, internal link optimization, I think, gets missed on a lot of sites. Um, and again, if you check out the search notes, if you're listening, uh, we will put a link to an Authoritas webinar that we took part in where we actually gave a little bit of a demo on how we used uh, SiteVault to help with internal link optimization. Um, it's really, really nice, kind of easy, easy win. Um, so you added that just before lockdown. Um, I found out of this, I found out about that because of your release notes, which is something yeah. I want to talk to you about, Patrick. Um, your, I think it's fair to say, infamous now for your um release notes which i personally find highly entertaining um i've seen on twitter some some people don't share that opinion so if you don't know what i'm talking about here um you know it's worth just subscribing to Sitebulb uh newsletters to get the release notes because patrick's quite colorful with his language and descriptions of what's been happening and so I just want to, you know, why did you choose to do this? Because, I, you know, I understand, you know, nowadays, like kind of brands are a bit more accessible online, a bit more, you know, friendly, touchy-feely. But, you know, you, you're straight out there drop, dropping F-bombs in release notes. Um, <laughs> it Was this a, a kind of an intentional, like, let's make something different? Or were you just like, look, um, I don't care. I'm just going to be me. And this is what this is. I guess it's a bit of both. Like, I... I can't be credited with the idea. It was it was Gareth's idea to make them more than just release notes. So 
I've been writing release notes for years with URL profiler and, you know, we'd write the description of what it is and why it's important. And like the biggest thing that we noticed is that most people don't read anything. And so when we started off in beta, um, so again, this is sort of mid 2017, we were doing sort of beta release notes and I would write them and explain what we'd added and why and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and I showed them to Gareth, oh, hey, what do you think about this? And he, he, he literally just said, they're a bit boring, aren't they? Can't you just, <laughs> can't you jazz them up a bit? So I just thought, all right, let's try. And so I started trying to create them into like each one i don't do it with every single like thing that we do but i will try and make sure that each one has got various stories in there or um like pop culture references or um like you say swears jokes it, often i can find uh, either we can be self-depreciating and sort of make a joke of of something that we've screwed up or i can uh like ingest attack our customers and sort of blame them for their foolishness that sort of thing and <laughs> so i started off doing this and like particularly at the start um that it's, it's a lot easier to do by the way for bugs it's a lot easier if a customer points out a bug and we have to fix a bug it's it's harder to um, make a sort of joke out of trying to explain a new feature but the really the like the core idea behind the whole thing was you can look at almost every single product across the world and look at their release notes and they will be the same sort of formula and a lot of the times they'll just say things like bug fixes and improvements and that'll be it and you're like expected to to upgrade to to use this thing we're like, well, for a start, we want people to actually understand what it is we've changed, what we've added. So we want people to give people a reason to read them. And secondly, um, we just we don't think that's a transparent way to to communicate. Like like it's it, we think it's important that people understand that we've fixed a particular bug that might be affecting the, all these people on websites like this, you know? And so we think it's actually important that people do read them and understand them and, and understand what's happening. And this was kind of a way to get, to get people to do that. Like if we, if we put a lot of jokes in there and make them a bit sweary and a bit fun, then maybe people will read them, even if they don't, they're not, they're not necessarily reading them to find out what the features are, but they read them because they're fun. They will, as a side to that, find out what the features are. So we get to, we get to win. Um, I did with the, in terms of the swearing, like I very much believe that people should use all the language. They shouldn't restrict themselves to a small subset of the language which doesn't include swears. And I think they have their Hang place. On a minute. Hang on a minute. This this just sounds like that little bit out of episode three of Star Wars now when he's telling him he needs to look at all the aspects of the Force. If one is to understand the great mystery, one must study all its aspects, not just the dogmatic narrow view of the jedi exactly <laughs> where are you exactly where are you leaving us with exactly this <laughs> i actually think i stole that off tim minchin i've since <laughs> tried to find uh, a link where or, or or um a song or wherever it whatever it's from where he actually says uh i like to use all the language because he's very sweary as well and um i can't i've not i've not been able to find it since but I, that is basically the the sort of the thesis behind it if we get to use all the language including the swears then they have their place um and when i was doing this in the beta um so we would email out these release notes and i would have various swears and i got a reply from someone saying you shouldn't be emailing me with a with an f-bomb in it and i was like Fair enough. And, and I sort of took a step back and was like, ah, maybe that's unprofessional. Maybe I shouldn't do it. And so like for the next set, I said, unfortunately, someone complained, so I'm not going to do it. 
And then I got a ton of complaints that I hadn't sworn. So now I was like, well, I have to put them back in. So I just reversed that decision, started swearing again, and we are where we are now. So so now I uh, I I try and make sure that they are entertaining, even if they aren't always sweary. They don't always definitely have them in. But there's there's all sorts of Easter eggs and stuff in there which I put in, and I'm sure most people don't even notice. And then every so often someone will reply with, or, or reply or email me or message something about it, and they'll mention one of my Easter eggs, and I'll be like, "Yes, you actually spotted that," because <laughs> <laughs> I spent ages putting these things in, and half the time no one notices them. Well, I think from that point of view, you can look at it as a success because if I reflect back, I think Sitevolve is probably one of the only bits of software I use where I do read the the kind of update release patch notes. Um, I can't actually think of another bit of software I actually do that for. Um, so yeah, I guess that's a really good reason yeah, to win. keep doing it. So I have, a, I have a, a double barrel question here for you, which I mean, really interesting to get your insight because obviously you're having lots of conversations with SEOs as, as you're building this tool. And I'm wondering what your insight is here to do with audits because a couple of people we've had on the podcast, uh, like Elayda and where we've talked about audits, we've always mused about how, our feelings were several years ago that there might be less of a need for technical SEO um, because, you know, we thought, hey, Google's going to get kind of smarter. And like you said, you know, with the HTML, it will just kind of round off the, the kind of rough corners and just understand things. But the trend we've actually found is that, you know, we're having to do more technical SEO with various, you know, JavaScript frameworks now and client server side rendering. So I'm interested, do you see any, uh, sort of most common issues that um, people are talking to you about in terms of auditing, in terms of technical SEO? And, you know, what are your thoughts on how technical SEO is going to change over the next few years? Do you think we have kind of peaked almost and it's going to get less complicated or is it we're just going to march onwards? In general, I think there's a lot of the core things are still like just as important as they ever were. Like making sure that the right pages are being crawled and indexed, making sure that pages are properly targeted for keywords. All of that stuff is still important and is still like probably the, the most common things that people are still doing. Uh, what I think is 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 changing and is going to change further is that the breadth that we need to know about is is increasing. Like it's no longer, if it was ever was okay, but it's no longer okay to just report on like 404s, 301s and a few images missing alt text, which, you know, like could have easily have constituted an audit, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, and like now we as SEOs need to be aware of performance, mobile usability, AMP, hreflang, schema, all sorts of various different things. Like a lot of that stuff, even, you know, a few, five years ago, most SEOs weren't taking those things into account. And I think as uh, as the technology increases, as we go more and more mobile, we will be required to know this stuff, even if it's not for like, I think the thing is, it's not going to be for every client and it's not going to be for every website you look at. You need to know this stuff. But if if you're um, if you're in an agency, for instance, then there are going to be more and more clients that come along where they are using a JavaScript framework. And you do need to think about things like server-side rendering. You do need to understand how rendering affects what is getting indexed. Like um, Wanley are doing tons of brilliant research into this area. If anyone, if anyone cares about technical SEO, they should be following everything that Wanley are putting out there because that is one of the ways that technical SEO is going. And um, you, 
you are going to be required to, to know how this stuff works. Even if you don't, it's not that you need to do it. I've never been one of these believers that you need to be a coder. I never, I never, I have never ever felt that SEO should learn how to build websites. I think what you need to do as an SEO is understand and be that bridge between a developer and a client. Mm. Um, and I think that's the role of the SEO. And I think that's going to get become more important as the technology gets more complicated. The client gets further removed from understanding what it means. Like it's it's relatively straightforward to explain to a client 404s, 301s, all those sorts of things. But it's much more difficult to explain to them rendering or performance issues. And um, I think that's really where where the, the SEO who sits in the middle is is going to have to sort of upskill and make sure they do understand this stuff. And I think that's where it's going. I think technical SEO is going to get more important. Um, I can't see how uh, the things that we've seen in the last couple of years suddenly go away. And there's other things that are going to, again, become more important. Again, like the semantic understanding is is clearly on the, on the up. So there's going to be a greater importance upon structured data, data consistency, and those sorts of things where the search engines are moving towards uh, understanding what the data means and how can we give them better signals to um, to gain that understanding. I think that's a really interesting answer, especially when you're talking about the debate, which I have seen a lot of times about if technical SEOs, you know, what level of skill they should have in terms of development. And when we've covered off training, um, you know, similar to you, I think being able to understand what needs to be done and why it needs to be done is kind of the useful amount for an SEO. So, you know, you know, okay, canonical tags, I know what they are and I know why they need to be changed so I can explain it to the client. But then you have a developer that knows how. And but as long as you understand the first two things, you should be able to kind of communicate it with them you know, what exactly does need doing and it's their kind of job. And we've I've found the same personally because uh, I've got a bit of a background in development, but when it's come to things nowadays um, around, say, performance, um, I've definitely had to uh, pass that over to people who are way better than me at knowing, you know, all the kind of back-end configurations that get um, better performance because, you know, I you just can't know the how of everything now, in my opinion, with technical SEO, even if you are a developer. Yeah, absolutely. And like that's that's how our our industry has developed. I think like, you know, when when it was sort of a fledgling industry, you could have one SEO that basically did the technical, did the on page, did the did the keyword research, did the keyword targeting, did all the link building. And, and like they could handle all of that. And the, the more it develops as a as a specialty and a niche, it's just the more specialized we all get. So you you it's it's right that you shouldn't be implementing the canonicals you know it's or or doing the um doing the sort of server improvements to it to speed it up that's not what you should be doing in my opinion that's not what the seo should be doing they should be advising and then it should be uh helping the client to understand which recommendations will make a difference for them and where it is important that they 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 focus their development budget and it's it you can't just go well, there's a whole load of stuff to do. It's all equally important. It's about figuring out, well, which ones are actually going to make a difference or which ones should make a difference and how easy is it for you or your development team to get them done? Then we make the decision about what should be done first and helping make sure it's implemented properly. 
Perfect. So Patrick, we're already almost at 40 minutes. So <laughs> let, let's round off with uh, what's next for Sightball. So we've talked about kind of what it is, where you are positioning now, what's happening next with it. So we've got some things in the pipeline, which I think a lot of folks have been waiting a long time for. Um, and uh, we're hoping to release them at the start of August, all things being well. Um, we've got schema validation and uh, like Google search features validation. And we're doing the validation a bit differently to how everybody else does it. And we're validating against the docs themselves. So um, essentially with the search feature validation, you have things like the rich results tool, which will give completely different results to the structured data testing tool, and which will give completely different results to what you see in um, uh, Google Search Console in terms of what's actually re reported. And then again, what you see in the SERPs, we've got all these sort of different sources of truth. And then we've seen Google coming out saying, well, we want you to build against and want you to sort of validate against the um, the docs themselves. So that's exactly what we're doing. And this thing is basically built, it's about to go into testing. Um, and that is a has been a massive job um, because again, like this, this landscape's changing all the time. Uh, and so we keep having to change it and make sure we're up to date with everything. Uh, but also like getting all of that validation in there uh, was a big job and being able to give it to people in a way that makes sense for them to actually make sense of the data uh, yeah. in our UI. Um, we've done a lot of work on and we'll hopefully uh, tweak during the beta process, but hopefully it's not too far from finished. So that's coming. Uh, at the same time, we've got content extraction. Um, and again, we've looked to um, do this in a way that's uh, easier to use and makes more sense than all other implementations out there. So when we when we release features that like are common across other tools, we don't we try our best not to just do almost exactly the same as what they've got. We try to go well. What, what spin can we add to this? What how can we make this thing better? How can we understand the use case better? and uh, do this in a way that makes it more usable, allows people to do the things which ultimately they're trying to do in an easier way. So there's some really exciting and interesting stuff coming on the content extraction. And then equally, we've done the same with the content search. So this is something which lots of other tools have had for a long time, um, You know, where you essentially put a search term down and as you're, um, as you're crawling the site, you kind of pick out the pages that have this thing on. Um, and we've, We've, we've built that in and we've, again, tried to build it in a way that allows you to do a few more interesting things than simply looking for a word on a page. Uh, so there's those three things. There's a few couple of other bits and pieces, which I'm not going to mention yet because I don't know for sure if they're going to get released in this version. Um, but again, some more interesting things that people have been asking us for. Uh, so those three things definitely on the horizon and they are all basically built and about to go into beta. Wow, I can't wait to read the release notes about them. <laughs> <laughs> That's not been written yet, so uh, <laughs> so um, if you do want to check out Sightbulb, um, go to your favorite search engine and type in Sightbulb, and I am sure you'll find their website. And you've got a free trial at the moment. It's we've got usual... a free trial all the time. Yeah, so fourteen day free trial that you can just go on the website and download it. Um, and it's like completely fully featured. You don't need to put your credit card in or any of that nonsense. You go on, you're getting essentially the paid pro version uh, for for the 14 days. So you get a proper chance to try it without, you know, limitations of the trial, all that sort of stuff. You actually get to try the full thing before you decide if you want to pay for it or not. 
And then we have monthly plans and yearly plans. So loads of options for what you want to do with it. Cool. Patrick, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Give us your thoughts about technical SEO and tell us a bit more about Sitebar. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Mark. So we are going to be back on Monday, the 13th of July with episode 69. In the meantime, if you did enjoy this, uh, please take a few seconds to subscribe and all that. And I look forward to hearing from you next week.